Welcome to episode 24 of Corner of Hunter and George, Peterborough's art and culture show. I welcome you back. We are in August now, and it's been summer. It's been hot the last few weeks, definitely. It's my first episode in August, and the times kind of slow down. I find especially in August, more than July, at least for last week, maybe this week, a little bit longer before people start getting antsy about the fall and all these meaningless back-to-school sales we have. But anyway, well, not meaningless for the parents, but you get what I'm saying. Um, And really, in a lot of ways, September is our January. It, It is the new year, really, September. But anyway, when during these times, slower times of August, not that nothing is happening in the world, the same amount of chaos is happening as it was six months ago. It just seems less to a lot of people who have maybe done a bit of escaping from their day-to-day routines. I thought it was a good time to talk to fellow Trent Radio broadcasters. My own show, Electric City Bang, Saturdays at 8 p.m. And these... Two broadcasters who are on Wednesdays at 8 during the summer. And the name of the show is Pretty in Punk. Two individuals I'll be talking to are Marina Kidd and Cameron Noble. Basically, people who wanted to look for the answers of who and how and perhaps why the power brokers of society were doing what they did. And way too deep and way too many topics to get into my one interview of all the answers. But we glazed upon all of them. I did a sort of weak job of glazing upon different topics with them. And as well, it was quite um, enlightening. I, I kind of knew they were true honors or true honests like myself. Fans and people who kind of somewhat model their show after. They do a much better job than I do. But also blowbackists. As the show Blowback. Look up Noah Colwyn, who did it with uh, somebody else. Uh, I would argue what they're planning to do in the future actually more resembles Blowback. So those two podcasts we both love and both followers of and both have a big influence on us. So that was quite enlightening for me as well. And we're looking, you know, they're looking for how the power brokers in society, often talking about the CIA, Hold those seeking the answers, such as ourselves, in check. And we go upon from everything from JFK to Jeffrey Epstein. So like I said, they've been on Wednesdays at 8 this summer on TrentRadio.ca or 92.7 FM. And they do have plans for the future as well. And they're also on SoundCloud as well. And we discuss things such as what punk means... Musical tastes in particular of Marino is quite the taste, quite the taste I enjoy. Uh, the sex trade operations of people like Jeffrey Epstein, a stand on conspiracy theories, individuals like Bill Barr, and much more. So, delightful broadcasters slash podcasters that Peterborough needs, and I hope we hear a lot more of them in the future, and perhaps most importantly, fellow psychedelic fur fans. Here is my discussion with... Marina Kidd and Cameron Noble. Like uh, when you came into doing this, uh, 
pretty and punk, which sort of right from the beginning said to me, Oh, that this must have some psychedelic fur tie to it. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what, what was your, uh, focus or purpose of this when you were starting? Um, so when I first started it, honestly, <laughs> I was really inspired because I'm, I'm a big podcast listener. I like to listen to a lot of true crime. And that was what the show was initially what I wanted to be when I was starting it. I wanted it to be focused on, you know, like serial killings and then to tie in with like the radio portion, um, punk music. Um, cause I myself am a punk. Um, I use that loosely. Um, so yeah, it started out as a true crime punk focused show. And then kind of from there, it just became something completely different, but still kind of the same. Okay. Um, so it does come from kind of this, uh, punk kind of background, I guess, or yes. focus. And I guess for 2022, I have to be curious how you define the word punk, because, um, I mean, we're, we're not in the late seventies anymore. So I just yeah, wonder absolutely. how you define that. I mean, I guess some people could say, <laughs> that is a great question. I guess some people could say punk is dead. Um, punk is not, I mean, what it was when it first started, punk was really, you know, a music genre and that, you know, birthed into this ideology of life. Um, really and truly, it's honestly just, you know, being yourself and doing whatever you think is punk. There's really no definition. It's how you define it, at least in my eyes. Okay. Well, when I actually been, I had one of the time chances I've had to listen to your show now and again, I've gotten also the idea that maybe punk is in this day and age for 2022 people who um, want to find like the true answers as to how the machines of society or how our true power figures are operating perhaps yes essentially it's going yeah it's going against authority in every way that you can and questioning everything because nobody's telling you the truth right no, 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 like, well, exactly. Well, that's, that's definitely an excellent thing to start out on. Um, and I guess I'll, I'll have you answer this, Cameron. Is there any sort of particular podcast? I know you said we were saying, talking about true crimes, but is there <laughs> anyone that you were modeling this show on? Yeah, I think from at least from my angle, uh, two in particular, uh, the first one being uh, Blowback, uh, a really, really good podcast series just about um, various failed uh, coups uh, coups in South America, sorry. Um, And then the other one, of course, being uh, Truanon, which uh, is uh, a podcast about uh, Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell that has been on for about two years now. Uh, Those are my two favorites going into it for sure. Right. Yeah, no, I have to point out that's I kind of sensed I didn't know you I didn't um quite pick up on the blowback part, but I'm I am familiar with that when I listened to it. I haven't listened to it with so much of it this summer, but I did listen to a lot of it in the summer of twenty one and twenty. I think totally, one summer yeah. was about Iraq and the other summer was about Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um but uh no it was a great series. But uh yeah, I did pick up on the Truanon kind of <laughs> semblance to it yes which uh i've kind of listened to since obviously their made their beginnings were epstein and um i've kind of listened to that for about maybe three or four years i think it was years ago when uh i don't know if you know who glenn greenwald is but he had a mm-hmm. he had some sort of it's when he was still at the intercept he had some sort of weekly youtube show on where he'd enter he'd have different journalists on and he had Liz Franzik on once and that just intrigued my attention and that started there sort of thing. That was probably that was probably like before COVID. That was like maybe 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. That's a fascinating way to discover Liz through Glenn Greenwald. I don't think I've ever yeah. met anyone who's discovered it that way. That's yeah, and I think we kind of planned it to be kind of like tongue in cheek in a sense because I know I've had a lot of coworkers just in different places in Peterborough who have compared uh, both of us to to True and On just even outside of the podcast. So we kind of did it as like an inside joke, I think, a little bit just in terms of the branding and the and the look. But I think we've kind of discussed doing something a little different for our next season. But uh, yeah, definitely model off True and Not for sure. Okay, right. And I, I may get into that, uh, what your long-term goals are, but uh, do you have sort of a similar approach? Like True and On, they kind of come off, you know, they start each episode kind of almost uh, almost in a kind of uh, humorous, kind of even juvenile kind of like way. 
but as, especially mm-hmm. if they have a guest on, it gets sort of more in depth and in depth. And there's points that both of them make, both Brace and Liz, that kind of really stick with you. I just for example, uh, don't ask me why. My daughter, who's <laughs> turning twenty two this year, just this month and a few weeks, she was really into this Johnny Depp trial. Uh, for a while and I just suggested she listen to it when I was seeing her a few weeks ago and uh, she first she I don't think she quite saw the appeal of it especially when Brace was doing his English accent imitation but (laughs) it was Johnny Depp imitation I mean but but as like as Liz was making this point of how like how like rig the trial was set up and how like these like immature people on TikTok were like like really raiding upon upon her and all this and it's Johnny mm-hmm. Depp's doing his PR exercise that sort of like really made her stop and think about how like the trial should be taken and things like that so yeah mm-hmm. that's just maybe an example right there yeah I learned a lot in particular from uh from that true on episode because I hadn't followed the trial at all like I I, I I am I it's weird like I attach myself to some celeb uh goings on but that one i felt like i couldn't ignore almost (laughs) i feel like everyone felt that way a little bit well yeah Um, it was like very much in the mainstream not to cut you off cameron but my my brother had been following it very closely because he i should say was a uh, fan of johnny depp he is no longer after um discovering the true happenings of this trial um but i was following it um you know so i was like under the guise of what all of these tiktokers were saying that you know amber heard was the villain and johnny depp was you know the uh victim um and then cameron because he he watches he listens to a lot more truanon than i do i've really <laughs> only been focusing on the jeffrey epstein and the jfk stuff from truanon so i haven't listened to their J- uh johnny depp stuff but he came to me and he was like you you should listen to this uh what's in the media is completely untrue and it kind of just it made me step back and you know realize that you you really cannot believe everything you hear. No, and mm-hmm. well, you obviously, um, yeah, Marina came into this with the idea of already not maybe trusting society, but has your own kind of research on your show kind of changed any way you see about how uh, about how like sort of our society operates, how powers in our society operates, and things like that. Like, it, like in particular, I think what you were lately doing is uh, something that could be talked about for ages, but this MK Ultra thing uh, yes. with mm-hmm. the CIA. So I know, is it sort of, has it been like, it's a learning experience or is there some sort of, besides being that, is it like also sort of chain, like sort of giving you maybe insight into how you feel society operates? Yeah, it's been a huge learning experience because, you know, before I met Cameron, I wasn't really tuned in to all of this conspiracy stuff. I was, you know, like I didn't trust authority figures around me, but he started, you know, we started with JFK and then we started peeling back the onion. um, And it was, it was a lot. So I, I think going into this and doing it more on, you know, like MK Ultra or John Hinckley or Ted Kaczynski, whomever we may be talking about, it's just there's so many layers to these people and it has really opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. I'll say that it's uh, it's been super clarifying for me just because I think uh, conspiracies or in general are sort of these kind of things that, you know, like you search up any kind of conspiracy online and you're going to find like a, a litany of on the one hand like disinformation and on the other hand um, information that can be to, you know helpful towards understanding various phenomena um, and for me to kind of to be able to take the time to like suss through um, that kind of like cesspool and really give myself like the focus of having a topic each week um, has helped me in sort of clarifying a lot of the ideas I think going yeah that I had going into it for sure yeah yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's the thing about it too. So, I mean, I think I'm kind of paraphrasing Liz Franzic here, but like, do we really even need conspiracy theories? Because the stories to a lot of these topics you've done, and let's say both Epstein and Maxwell, uh, you know, you don't really need to come up with any sort of QAnon like story for these. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, totally. no, because the truth not to sound like the X-Files, but literally the truth is right in front of our faces. It's just so many of us don't want to see it. Because mm-hmm. it's just coming to terms with the reality. It's like 
everyone around us has built it so that, you know, we contribute to the machine that our world is, but it, it's all out there. You just have to take off the rose colored sunglasses and actually look. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's it's like the cabal is your boss kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Um, now with Epstein and Maxwell, um, like, well, with Epstein in particular, like the kind of myth around him is going to continue to grow and grow. I think uh, even this raid today on Trump's uh, state may help that for some reason. Yeah, the like FBI raid, yeah. So that's right. Uh but he himself is kind of like, you know, he kind of uh, suspiciously went away at the right time as an individual. Like, And Maxwell herself, it doesn't really seem like she has many people that will speak up for her anymore. She doesn't really have any, you know, notable celebrities in her in her corner anymore. So has it left sort of this story of this basic sex trade operation they were running has that left a lot of people unaccounted for is that really what keeps the story kind of alive in a way more than like the two individuals themselves yeah it's uh it's definitely like on the one hand i think the the continued um information that we've gotten from the the survivors of jeffrey epstein and glenn maxwell do help uh to an extent to sort of like flush out the the story of of what his his empire was and the impact of sort of uh what he was up to um but that being said i i do think like even part of yeah it is unfortunate like with the 24-hour news like the way we have like a news cycle right like we forget uh forget things so easily and um i think that it's unfortunate i think if the jeffrey epstein story kind of ends with jeffrey epstein i hope that we learn continue to learn more as as time goes by yeah, because I feel like Galen has really, aside from when she was sentenced, you know, last, I guess I should say two months ago, because we're now in August, it really wasn't in the mainstream. It was, you know, it was printed in the news. But other than that, like, it happened, and then I didn't hear anything else about it in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, we, we haven't heard a lot about it since, really. That is actually true, and important. that's important to point out. Yeah, you don't see a lot of that, especially in any Canadian media coverage of it um in general Mm -hmm. so yeah it has definitely has kind of faded out and i think it should be noted to not just our canadian but our local listeners that uh, they aren't aware i'm sure a lot of people have been here forever aware of this but uh prince andrew did attend lakefield college for i was just about to mention i uh, was gonna say that yes yeah Yeah. i think it's about 45 years ago he was here but i and i some some something tells me it might have to be looked up that his younger brother was here too uh, edward but i could be wrong about that oh that's interesting yeah i was gonna yeah. say because it's like yeah there's direct and there's so many connections even into canada in general too like it's uh yeah there, there's a lot of public interest i think in the in the trial uh within the canadian public it's unfortunate that it's not more front and center yeah and i i don't know if i, I don't know who feels they can answer this but uh the figure of bill barr uh Mm-hmm. The uh, former attorney general also he worked for the CIA in the 70s, I believe, and worked under both Trump and George H.W. Bush. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Is he? Uh, what, is there anything uh, illuminating you discovered about this man? He he's been uh, a real vector, I'd say, for like all of the story, like a lot of the stories that we've covered, because his name comes up like in one extent. Like you just mentioned, he had uh, his involvement under Bush, and of course that was like pardoning the folks that were involved in in Iran Contra, and then more involvement if you go further back when he was in the CIA, and then you go even further back, and his father was in the OSS. So it's. Um, it's definitely kind of like, yeah, he's definitely been a figure that continues to come up uh, in very surprising ways throughout all of the different uh, stories that we've covered. And I, I also think it's kind of a weird, like, when you talk about Jeffrey Epstein, like, his father, um, you know, bringing him into the head of the mathematics department at Dalton, and then William Barr himself being the one, uh, you know, under Trump managing the the DOJ investigation, Department of Justice investigation into Epstein's death. Uh, one of a very weird cosmic coincidence, if it is one. Uh, <laughs> a weird, a weird kind of sandwich of people before and after Epstein's life. Right, and that's just uh, kind of lastly on this uh, Epstein Maxwell. Just the, the whole like the true like kind of 
inhumane side of it is um, like a lot. And this seems to be a common occurrence. If you look at other things like, uh, of, like uh, long ago now, but uh, kind of recently kind of still talked about almost as much as Epstein as a Franklin scandal. Yeah. Um, Franklin credit yeah, scandal. That's right. Um, it's like, it's sort of how our society treats children in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know if that's, if anything you've done sort of illuminated light on that as well. Like how we've sort of, there's it's children who are in often these, uh, you know, I think when I first went into like uh, looking up or just get being engaged with Jeffrey Epstein's story in, in general, I, I assumed a lot of his victims were people who were like kind of, of the elitist crowd like he was but no mm-hmm. that's not the case they're often uh you know young females and often these yeah. uh, awful positions like uh they were they were going to have a hard time in life no matter what but like either uh, drug usage in the family broken homes poverty mm-hmm. in general and they were just basically preyed upon and yeah. um I, I i don't know if that's sort of been one side that's been kind of like kind of kind of really been illuminating how the powerful have kind of exploited exploited people in these positions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh like you see it in the in Jeffrey Epstein by and as you were kind of saying at the beginning of what you were what you were mentioning, like it's uh it is one of those kind of shocking cases. Like it bothers you to look into for too long because it, it mm-hmm. sort of does bring up those, those issues of like, you know, if a society can't protect, you know, the most vulnerable sector, like, and this is what, you know, where we're at kind of thing, you know, it is representative of, of I think a very like uh, in many ways, you know, broken sort of like spiritual and, uh, and cultural life of, of a certain sector of, uh, of the population. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally, and I, and I think that it, it, interestingly, like through like a, you know, when you think about it like that, that's kind of ideological, but then you're also bringing up like, yeah, like they also literally preyed upon. Um, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. So it's like reflective in both ways. Yeah. yeah no, well, I no, feel no. like it was easy to prey on these people. Not to say that you, obviously I don't condone preying on the most vulnerable of our society, but that's it's always the easiest target because say if Jeffrey Epstein, I don't know, preyed upon some billionaire's child, it would have been thrown into the media. It could have been, it couldn't have been slashed out. It, you prey on the vulnerable and nobody will find out, especially if you're in a position like Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the thing about all these uh, stories, I haven't even gotten into JFK and things like that, but uh, uh, one thing about it, I guess, did, did you worry that it was going to be a little too, American centered, not that there's necessarily anything wrong oh, with that. Yeah. It could, can make you feel like it's, oh, this doesn't involve us here in Peterborough, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. I, I thought about that a couple of times. Oh. <laughs> you, you go ahead, Marina, you yeah. go first. Yeah, yeah, you um, go ahead. Yeah, I don't really think it was something we ever really discussed because, in a way, it all comes back in a circle throughout North America. Even if something's centered in America, it, it still bleeds in through it bleeds back into Canada in some way, be it through MK Ultra or through the CIA and them sending, you know, Nazis into our government, their government and other governments. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that was ever an issue. No. Yeah. Like I similarly, yeah. Like I kind of saw JFK, like a lot of them are, sort of almost like these like uh like a not a blind spot but like the opposite of a blind spot where it's so glaring in this history that it's almost impossible not to talk about um it's also like he's a yeah he's a very interesting like and jfk like mk ultra obviously has its own sort of roots in canada but uh you know like yeah the jfk story i think is a is a very um particularly glaring example of the, of the kind of uh stuff we talk about so i think it was almost just kind of hard to avoid but i will say i have had that thought a couple of times i remember i did kind of have that thought when i pitched the idea for the cia in canada series um was to specifically kind of touch on something here and i do know we have an episode i think planned to do on the um gabriel wartman uh mass shooting as well at some point so uh we will be getting another few more canadian centric episodes in the next season hopefully not to spoil anything but oh well funny you mentioned i was just going to ask that i know that has not been a uh topic uh 
that you've um, that you've had on your show. But I was just wondering if yeah, if you were following this one, uh, this mm-hmm. this uh, sort of inquiry they have they're having right now in Nova Scotia. Um, Shots away. It is the moment police finally corner the gunman, 11.25 on Sunday morning. At this point, Gabriel Wartman has killed 22 people disguised as an RCMP officer. Then two officers pull into a gas station, and by chance, he's there too. Within seconds, Constable Craig Hubley recognizes the gunman at the pump right beside him. He saw the perpetrator raise a firearm, And it was at that time that uh, Constable Hubley discharged his firearm. But look at this. Just 10 minutes before, new surveillance video showing other officers in a very close encounter at a different gas station. At this point, he's no longer in the fake RCMP car and has shed his Mountie uniform. The officers miss him entirely. Back up, back up. Fortunately, no one else dies before the gunman encounters Hubley and his colleague, Constable Ben McLeod, who both fire through the car's windows. Pump six, Enfield Big Stop. Suspect is down in his vehicle, multiple shots away. Within minutes, backup arrives and confirms the gunman is dead. Newly released information shows the perpetrator likely also shot himself in the head. But the medical examiner says his opinion is that the gunman did not cause his own death. It was the barrage of 23 bullets from the officers. Really innumerable gunshot wounds of the chest and abdomen uh, with really profound mechanical damage of just about every organ. And yeah, there's kind of been, well, there's been a lot of suspicious things that have come up about that, but uh, just, I, I don't know, some people say this individual, uh, I think his name's Paul Polango from yes. Frank Magazine, he's written definitely a bunch of things, definitely going after the police quite a bit. Um, so he's also been criticized by some people I've listened to for uh, going after uh uh, Gatemans, I guess it was her common. It was his common law common law partner. Yeah, yeah. his common law. I've partner. been reading his uh, his book on the case called Twenty Two Murders, um, mm-hmm. and he has some poignant stuff to say about the RCMP. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's wrong. That may be a bold statement to make, um, but a lot of the tactics that the police um, took about were nonsensical. Yes, well, like this Twitter message that they sent out. Yeah. That's all they sent out. Yeah. They, and it, I mean, you have to think about it this way. It's a rural community in Nova Scotia. You have to think of the demographic. I'm sure most of them are retired people, and you know, a large majority of them were, and other people were of the mindset of not using cell phones because they were there to get away. Practically nobody in that community held a Twitter account. So nobody saw this message when it was sent out Mm -hmm. and that resulted in the mass life loss that Gabriel Wartman um, caused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And I've heard him a bit on this um, one podcast that comes out of Nova Scotia as well, uh, Paul Polango. Um, And he definitely brings up a point a lot about how, um, uh, there's hasn't been much there's been no cross-examination of both no. police there's very little anyway of the police and definitely they didn't they weren't allowing it for his uh for his common law either uh and um yeah how, i don't know there's that that's maybe a bit of a that's maybe a bit of a as an issue with a bit of nuance to it but still uh it doesn't it's definitely not satisfying the families who are involved in this mm-hmm. no absolutely not and even I mean, the police force had losses in in their own way. I mean, they had an individual who was out in a cruiser on her own, and the local police force from this community was not informed that Mr. Wartman was in pursuit uh, around the area. So th- it could have been prevented on their end and within the community. Right. No, definitely. Um and there's all, yeah, it just this whole, how do you have these many police cars or arms smuggling or yeah. all these different things or this 
huge cache of money he's caught on tape. Yeah, and the Brink truck. Yeah, a lot of it. There's a lot to this story. I mean, it's it's pretty heavy. I I feel like I mean we need to do an episode in on it in ourselves. But there's just there's so many layers to this man. It, It. it just doesn't make sense because some people brought up that he was, you know, picking people out because he held grudges against them. But it's like nobody really knows. Yeah, nobody uh, truly knew who Gabriel Wartman was, not even his family. No. And unlike unlike Epstein, uh, this is not something that will get massive attention outside no. of this country. So it's, no, you, no. you are not going to be doing something that, say, a thousand other people would be doing if you ever got into that. So, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, now, now you obviously, I, I, yeah, one final, I guess, is it fair to say that sort of every episode, the linkage between all of them from JFK, maybe not the last one you've done on Rosa Luxemburg, but, um, most of them anyway have this linkage of the CIA. Is that a, is that a fair thing to say that this, mm-hmm. they're kind of linked? I would say yes. Part of it. Yes. Yeah. And including, including the one you did, uh, you did a two part series of the CIA in Canada. And I don't know, is there anyone who wants to speak for uh, Douglas, you and Cameron, who, who that was and how he was tied to the CIA? Yeah, I mean, Cameron, do you want me to take this or do you want to yeah, take Yeah, you it? go for it. You go for it. Okay, so if we take our ties all the way back to the start of Mr. Cameron's um, beginnings, he um, he worked um, within the Nazi government uh, doing tests. And then the CIA saw this and they said, you know, we're... We're working on what we well. I guess the name for MK Ultra wasn't uh, a thing at this point, but there was uh, this operation called Operation Paperclip, where essentially it was they were taking all of these scientists, Dr. Ian Cameron not being exactly one of them, but this kind of falls under this scheme where they were taking these uh, scientists and putting them throughout North America, and Dr. Ian Cameron just happened to be one of them, um, but he was specifically um, picked. And put in because of his, of what was it called, Cameron? The he was putting people in boxes. Um, there's a name for it. And he was. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but I know that he was picked. Where uh, he was like, using the sounds. I'm, I don't know why I'm blanking on this, but it was. Um, oh, sensory deprivation. The sensory deprivation, but he was like putting right. like the speakers. There was a name for it. I can't. I, I'm drawing a blank, but it was because of this brainwashing tactic that he had came up with and they picked him out and put him into uh, Montreal Mm -hmm. for this. Yeah. And I was going to say like he was, yeah. And I think you mentioned it there. He wasn't like a, uh, a a Nazi scientist coming from like as a member of operation paperclip, but was sort of an auxiliary um, being used in Montreal uh, within sort of these programs, rubbing elbows with, with those who very well could have been brought over from operation Operation paperclip. Paperclip. That's exactly what I was trying to allude to. And certainly contributing to, uh, to projects that they, that they were pursuing. Yeah, and this would have mainly been happening in the 1950s, I take it, from what, yeah. what I was getting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although up until, I think, 19, the 1970s, I think. Uh, and then, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell when, because MK Ultra sort of uh, is shut down around sort of a lot of the same time that the CIA's uh, investigation into um, an implementation of torture techniques in South America and uh, in the Middle East kind of crops up. So it's hard to say exactly, you know, when this ended. <laughs> I don't really think it ever ended. Cause if you, if you look at um, Penetanguishin, it uh, kind of bled into there. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yes. I remember, I, I remember both uh, seeing that about your show and also reading about that elsewhere. Yeah. So, yeah, not too far away that you you saw this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and also, uh, so musically speaking, like uh, I don't know what you were thinking about at the beginning, but how much of a role is music played in sort of either a background or kind of as a way of emphasizing what you're doing in the show? Because it, um, it, it, it was never. Pardon? Oh, I said that's your game. That's all. That is my game. I I had a feeling it was yours. Yes. I am in charge of all of the musical selections for the show. Um, None of the music ties directly in with our topic. It's just kind of 
whatever I'm feeling for the week. How I've been doing it currently is I'm trying to pick a different genre from the 80s every single week and showcasing uh, music from that genre in our playlist. Um, it's just kind of whatever I'm in the mood for. But all of my music uh, comes solely from the uh, 1980s. Nothing before or after. Yeah, well, that's definitely... A... I mean, music is that. It is sort of like a shift of moods and like it depends on your background and taste, yeah. but it, it, it can emphasize maybe one more period or genre than another. But uh, that's kind of how it works for me, too. But uh, there there definitely must be some liking, I guess, of because uh, one of you or both you went to see Psychedelic Furs uh, back in the spring. Am I correct? It was yeah. both of us. Yes. yes. And then just last night I went and saw um, Joan Jett. Poison, Def Leppard, and Motley Crue, and then I have tickets to see New Order and Pet Shop Boys. So it's uh... oh nice, you have, you have a lucky oh, nice. few months, yeah. Oh nice, <laughs> yeah. nice. All right, yeah, nice. So psychedelic first specifically, are they kind of like dinosaurs of the past, or are they still able to kind of really? Oh my gosh! Oh, they kick it. Yeah. They were they're insane. Okay. I mean, they're in their early seventies, but you would. Yes. You would never think that. Yeah, no, they were still great. Absolutely. Yeah, I've seen some bands that are older before who, who don't hold up quite as well to their earlier concert footage, but absolutely not the Psychedelic Furs. Yeah, first. the Psychedelic Furs hold true. Okay. All right. And um, that, I'd have to look up what it was. You had that one, one at least it was a Twitter post anyway, I think an episode you did back in June. I'd have to look it up what it was, but uh, that that was one of the heaviest songs I've ever heard, and that was a Canadian band at the time too. That I don't remember. I don't think they are well thought of. Now, but uh, oh, in one of our past playlists, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. it was a it's a female band, and it was basically like ear screeching sounds and screaming for about oh, seven yeah. seven and a half minutes there. I think yeah. that could be Tunnel Canary. The song that, that that's she it. had. It's a uh, it's noise music. Yes, yes. That that definitely really struck with me there. That yes, one. yes. Uh, and I yeah you, that that was that hard to find that one or you um you honestly I had already known of it. I'm pretty. I like to sit down and just look for music. That's always been something I've been interested in. So I have. Mm-hmm. I've had that sitting on my phone for a while, um, and one day I just wanted to use it. I didn't. Cameron hated it. Um, my brother hated it. it. He was like, "My ears feel like they're falling off." But I was like, "This is amazing." I mean, I mean, and let's face it, to the 1980s in Canada, generally musically, not just in a punk sense, were pretty uh, undernourished. Like there are a lot of bands in Canada at that time who could have been a lot bigger if it was maybe now or 10 or 20 years later. Uh, it was really difficult uh, to be making it as a musician in Canada, like getting enough acclaim. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, in a punk way, I always feel at least from the late seventies to the eighties that sort of Vancouver probably had the most vibrant scene. If you're talking about like DOA and that's when Vancouver is a much different city. Um, and I don't know here, of course we had things like teenage head who. Yeah. Unfortunately, George unfortunately, Lewis he, was just yes, found dead. Yes. Yeah. I just, yes. Uh, I, unfortunately, yeah, that was, I think by his suspected his son, but uh, anyway, um, but there's also like bands who maybe not so much punky, but maybe had a little more new age sound who are kind of, I, I've always felt platinum blonde yes. were kind of, they were definitely underrated. They were very oh, underrated. Time, They're yes. one of my probably favorite new wave bands ever. Mm-hmm. They could have gone so far. Yes. Yeah, had yeah. they had the right venues to go through? Because Canada at the time, I don't know, it just, you just kind of stayed within Canada. It was very hard to break out of the mainstream in North America. 
Yeah, you either you basically had to do a, a Joni Mitchell Neil Young thing and go south and try and yeah. make it or or nothing else. Yeah, and it was still that kind of mentality. talking about like just being able to sort of separate the conspiracy from what what is uh, legitimately fact is that the sort of like most uh, kind of stressful part of it of, uh, like or most like kind of time consuming at least yeah totally because it's like because it, it's it's this thing too where um you know like on the one hand like the sources sometimes straight up don't exist or the like or what you're or or they do but they're they're not you know either they're not credible or they link to a website that doesn't exist anymore especially for like some of the 9-11 like truther stuff um but uh the um but yeah like trying to separate those things and then sort of kind of being able to put a narrative together but also like telling yourself like when to stop sometimes as well because it's it's very easy to draw like a through line through like disparate connections and meeting points between different things and and, you know it's very quick to be able to say like oh this person was clearly involved in this because they um met this person here and there but you know especially in the scope of something that's like published and on the radio you really have to scrutinize your own uh research a lot and not always say the things that and jump to the conclusions that to be honest sometimes might be right but but probably oftentimes aren't uh so yeah i'd say that's probably like yeah to just answer your question more directly yeah yeah sometimes can be right but for the wrong reasons or vice versa oh totally yeah Yeah. absolutely yeah that yeah absolutely yeah now one element i think of your earlier programs you're kind of dealing with more kind of left-wing organizations of uh radical groups from like the late 60s early 70s such as uh the weather underground and black panthers mm-hmm. and i just uh, i just want to note i just recently i think it was either week one week maybe two weeks ago i heard uh, the founders of the weather underground speaking i think because their son is doing a documentary on their parents mm-hmm. and just kind of what it was like growing up with their parents having to hide underground and things like that um just the that that experience of it uh yeah it was quite interesting to listen to i think that was on democracy now they had one she was interviewing them one day oh sweet uh, i'll have to check that out yeah yeah Uh, so that yeah i think there's an upcoming documentary that's on on the son doing it on his parents um and so like do you feel there's a reason at least it appears to be there's a lack of these organizations today in canada or elsewhere and do you do either of you have a theory on why that is? Like, uh, there just certainly are this share of mm-hmm. our right-wing organizations. We don't have to go too far for yeah. that. We don't have to leave Peterborough. But, yeah, uh, no. but uh, they but have burger left. stores in Peterborough. Oh, they have yes. rest- we they have restaurants. We don't have restaurants. <laughs> That's right. Fast yeah. food stands. Yes. Yeah, like food truck stands. But uh, yeah, but uh, but uh, left-wing organizations seem to be few and far between. There are definitely mm-hmm. people out there making a valiant try, but there aren't. Uh, there are yeah, many sort yeah. of large contingencies or things like that, or or people at least taking these slight, like extreme radical actions mm-hmm. that you saw from back then. Well, one of my favorite authors is uh, is Jody Dean, and she has a fantastic book. And uh, I, it's sitting on my 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 library over there, and I don't quite remember what the name of it was. Um, but uh, she she's written about this theme in a lot of her texts, and it's kind of like a common theme of her academic life, uh, which is just sort of about the different ways that uh, content and the internet have sort of sub- subliminated um, uh, sort of the the need for uh political like cohesion in the real world and so it, it, and in the real world i mean sort of like physical connection and and talking with people a lot of that has been sort of filled up by the ability to sort of find those connections online so quickly and uh sort of be able to exercise all of the different things that you would have to do in a real life leftist organization that you can now do online i think that's a huge contributor to it for sure um and i think that that kind of outside of just like being something that's uh you know the fault of social media it just kind of breeds a certain atomization i think within people that maybe 
leads them to not be want uh, want to get involved uh, in their real life. I think. Yeah, though no, that's definitely a good point, and that links back to um, I think probably the greatest thing about the one podcast you said has influenced you, True and On, is really their guests. Like I, I she's definitely someone who's been on there. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's been other people, too, that I didn't really read that much of before they were on there, whether it was uh, uh, her or Jacob Silverman, who's most famous for writing about uh, the sort of mm-hmm. fallacy of crypto. Right, and yeah. uh, and uh, also um, Yasha Levine as well. As one yes. One. And mm-hmm. uh, Nick Bryant, who wrote about the Franklin scandal. Yes, like very recently. Yes, yeah. and he has, I think, another book coming out soon about Watergate. Next month, yeah, yes. exciting, uh, yeah. Yes, but uh, that's that, That's maybe the greatest thing about it right there. Um, so I I guess, now do you, you definitely, is, is today's events, I guess I'll turn this to you, Cameron, today's events of uh, like uh, the... Uh, the FBI on uh, Mar-a-Lago is that, uh, do you feel like there's a possibility of something there to be looking into in the future? Oh yeah, totally. It's interesting. I'm always fascinated by the ways, especially in the U S the, the sort of interwar between all of the different uh, agencies there between the FBI and the CIA and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the uh, yeah, so I, 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 I could like, this seems definitely seems like an escalation in the, in the sort of like, um, january 6th investigation canon which i haven't followed as closely as i well i have followed it i think closely the most more closely the most people maybe not as closely as others um but yeah i don't know if there's like a chance of like him necessarily seeing like jail time but or if there's sort of a but but i i do maybe see there being something that further indicts you know roger stone or or what's his name um bannon or, or or something who knows yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I, you've probably followed it clo- more closer than I have. Like, it's been a major turnoff for me hearing about any January 6th hearings. It just, mm-hmm. I know something about it just made me just so, like, this is nothing but political arena kind of thing. But, uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, when these things happen, you have to definitely open, it's, it's opened my eyes again as to the possibilities. And, um, certainly I, I'm not jumping to any conclusions, but, um, there's definitely maybe some untold stories there. Oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. So um, now I think recently you said, uh, like both of you said that there's, you have a special project ahead as uh, Marina, do you want to comment on what that might be like for your show? Cause um, I know th- this radio season on Trent radio, if it hasn't, do you have, I think maybe one episode left. One episode correct? left. Right yes, after that is tonight. Correct. Yeah. So after tomorrow. That, yeah. That's right. It's not that long a summer season for us at Trent Radio. No. But uh, but uh, what what sort of special project are you? Can you say? I know you maybe don't um, want to give all that away. But, so uh, it'll be separate from our radio show. Yes. Um, it is going to be a podcast. I think Cameron and I were talking about releasing it on Spotify. Um, I don't want to give away too much. Um. Can I say the title, Cameron, or is that no? Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay, no, go so um, all I'll say is that we're calling it Dice Bean. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's and it's uh yeah, I guess I could say one other thing. If we can both get one little treaty to drop to everyone uh, from mm-hmm. <laughs> about the I'll say that it's uh, um, called Dice Bean, and it is going to be about um, post-war uh, Nazism and Operation Paperclip and Operation Sunrise and all of the things that we have alluded to throughout lots of our episodes. Yeah, so, so just all. building up to this kind of building point. up to it in a lot of ways so it'll just yeah. be yeah well a little little podcast project like marina said on on spotify and soundcloud so okay uh, yeah that'll be fun and um die speen how's that uh sorry how did, i spelling format of that has got me there oh yeah no d-i-e-s-p-i-n-n-e two separate words that's the spider of course that's the spider which was coined by otto scorzani who was the i'm not going to be able to pronounce this in german but the uh the general the general fuhrer i don't know what position it was, but he coined that name for uh for the post uh third reich nazi order okay Talk about we are the baddies moment. Like if you're calling yourself the spider, you know, <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spina. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, 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 
not that you're doing the same thing, but I, I'm taking to that a bit more of like a blowback kind of model, like a, a whole series on one yeah. kind of theme. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yes. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Very nice. Okay. Well, that's exciting to hear. Well, I'm glad to hear that, actually. I think that's a good, you just have, like I said, too much material on to just one, as great as it is, one Trent radio season, especially the summer season, which I think is the shortest of all of them, mm-hmm. is uh, not enough time. So I'm yeah. glad you're taking this in another direction. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you very much for meeting with me tonight. I, thank I, you for having no, us. No, thanks for having yes, us. Yes. This is great. Yeah, no, it's, it's great, too. And I'll, I, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know when I have this uh, edited and put together. So there you have it. I, I would say that experience was like, with Marina and Cameron, was like me as a young child dipping my hands into various variants of chocolate and just having to try out all of them. Maybe not my hands, it's a little disgusting, but well, it's a bit like that. No maybe deep conclusions from any of that, but you get to see what they have done, and I hope you take away from them an interest in Dishpina, well, the spider anyway, that they're going to eventually come out as a podcast series. And as for me, Corner of Hunter and George, you can find this on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and Google. I don't really mention Google, but I am on Google. And I'll make sure I have that in my notes. And thank you very much for joining me today for this edition of Corner of Hunter and George, and I hope to see you again soon.